1: Hi, I'm Stephanie Everett.
2: And I'm Zach Glazer. And this is episode 366 of the Lawyers Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, Stephanie is talking with author and professor Susan Ashford about how you can use daily experiments to grow as a leader.
1: Today's podcast is brought to you by Posh Virtual Receptionists and And We wouldn't be able to do the show without their support. So stay tuned because we're going to tell you more about them later
2: on. So Stephanie, talking about experimenting and growing, we've got... One of our our team values that I kind of want you to to flesh out a little bit for me, and it's experiment like a lobster. And I think if somebody comes to our website, they're going to say, "When the hell is that?"
1: I know, as they should. <laughs> so 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 yeah. So so what is that? <laughs> First, I feel compelled to say your core values. When we t- we talk about values a lot, and we just had a process where we looked at ours and we kind of redefine some of them to better fit what where we are as a business right now, they need to be authentic to you and speak to you. So the first is you get permission to have fun and you can use whatever phrase makes sense to you. So I will first mm-hmm. acknowledge that nobody knows what the hell experiment like a lobster means, except for the lawyer's team. I mean, until <laughs> we explain it, but it's fun. And it gives us permission to have lots of lobster paraphernalia that I just like I gave out lobster floats to everyone at our team. We have
2: lobster oh, claws. Yeah. My wife was curious about the lobster float that I, I came back with. Yeah, I
1: know. So it is fun and it's silly and it can be, I guess, is the first thing I would say. But for mm-hmm. us, what it means is this idea is that we experiment, right? We question, test, right. analyze, learn, adopt, um, or adapt rather, and improve and push ourselves for outside outsized impacts through relentless incrementalism. And then the idea is we practice what we teach. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, most people hopefully by now know that our paid coaching community is called Lawyerist Lab. And I've always said that it's the lab because it's where you go to test and experiment and improve your business, right? Like the lecture, Mm -hmm. the lecture hall is where you go and just listen to someone, you know, talk for a long time. But the lab is where you go roll up your sleeves and you do stuff. And so in our lab program, that's where lawyers get to like figure out and improve and figure out what's working and what's not. And honestly, that's how we run our business too. Mm-hmm. The lawyer's team is constantly pushing ourselves and testing and experimenting and how can we improve and questioning why are we doing this and then how can we do it better? And that's how we run our business and that's how we teach lawyers in our community to run theirs.
2: Well, and-, and- kind of to be to be clear on this we we're not talking about experimenting where we say here is one good option and here's one bad option that we know and we're going to run those those two tests against each other we're we're not talking about you know I, I think i was saying to you earlier i wonder what would happen if i just didn't turn this brief into this judge <laughs> right. like that's that's not experimentation that's no. <laughs> that's career suicide you know but what we're talking about is is putting two good options against each other and seeing what works best, what works best for the situation. And so we, in doing a lot of the, the research and development that we do for lawyers, we take two good options. We, we A, B test things a lot and we figure out what's the best. And I think to me, that resonates with lawyers as opposed to what is a good option? No, no, no. We're talking about multiple good options here yeah. and honing in on it, You know that that relentless iteration.
1: Yeah. And I think it's hard where we struggle as lawyers is we're perfectionists. And so Mm -hmm. we're nervous. Like, you know, even when I work with people on on something as simple as their vision, what they want for their business, they get stuck because they're like, this has to be perfect. It has to be, Mm -hmm. it has to be the most amazing vision and capture all the things. And I'm like, first drafts can never be perfect by their nature. So you have to just get it out there and you have to work with it and you have to, live with it and struggle with it and, and see what, you know, like, let it sit inside of you and stir around and see what comes up. And then you'll have a, an epiphany in a week and, or in a month or whenever, and then you can improve it. And that's, that's what it wants to be. That's how, I don't know. That's how I think businesses exist. And so sometimes people come to us too, and they're like, have all this judgment. Oh, I know I should have been doing it differently or better. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Whatever, you're where you're supposed to be. Let's just fix it and move on and start making those improvements so that you can get where you want to be.
2: Well, and, and with the, yeah, with those making those improvements and the relentless iteration, final drafts are never perfect either. Yeah. In college, I did a good deal of painting and drawing and and you know you have the, the painting that you put up and everybody is there to critique it and you look at it and you're your own worst critic and you think, well, it's done. But it's, oh, man, I could have done that better. But that's how we get better is by looking at those things, accepting that, coming to it with a learning mindset and saying, okay, well, how do I make this better? And experimentation, putting two things or three things, but generally two things up against each other is an active way of kind of creating that learning mindset of using that and saying, I'm going to embrace the fact that I know nothing I do is ever perfect And I'm just going to constantly make it better and better.
1: Yeah. I think if you can do that, if you can have that mindset with your business, it's only going to make your business better. And then honestly, as you're going to hear in my interview today with Susan, which I got really excited about, it applies to our personal life as well. And and to us as leaders and managers and all the things that we put on ourselves is if we can have that learning mindset and figure out how I can make small changes throughout my day to be better. And so we're going to talk about that and it's super fascinating, but in my mind, I'm like, oh, this just all connects together and it all makes sense to to me. (laughs) Hopefully it does to other people, but also it's fun. Experiment like a lobster.
2: Well, and now at least the experiment like a lobster is going to make sense to everybody. (laughs) It is very, very clear to everybody out there. So we've, we've accomplished that. Yes. (laughs)
1: And so now we have my conversation with Susan.
3: I'm Sue Ashford, and I'm a professor at the Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan. I am committed to teaching people how to be more effective in organizations and have been working more directly with leaders for over the last 20 years, trying to help them manage everything from their first leadership position to how to grow as a leader over a lifespan yeah
1: welcome to the show, Sue. I'm so excited to talk with you today and the work you're doing around leaders. and it's a big concept, like how do you make leaders better? <laughs> like, that's that's a lot to chew, isn't it? Yeah,
3: yeah. And even if we were talking to people in large organizations, they often don't attend to the growth of a lot of people. You know they often will just hive off some high potentials and focus on them. And yet I think a lot of people want to lead better, be more effective. The book is started out its home base is leadership, but it grew into how do you grow your personal and interpersonal effectiveness? And whether you're a parent wanting to be more effective, a community member, a person in an organization, or a leader in an organization. So it really spans it's the skills that we're going to talk about are really relevant for any of that. Yeah. Your audience is both wanting to be effective lawyers with clients, but also grow a business, which is a big job.
1: So your book is The Power of Flexing, How to Use Small Daily Experiments to Create Big Life-Changing Growth. And what I loved in reading it is you really set out a framework for this idea of growth and learning and what it means to learn, because as I was thinking about it, I was like, you know, we've all gone to school, many of us like lawyers for 20 or so years. And so we just kind of take it for granted that we know what it means to learn and improve and, and be better. But in your book, you really kind of challenged us and said, no, you you might need to be a little bit more intentional about it. So what does that look like for you?
3: Well, let me first say why, why I yeah. think to be challenged in this way. It starts from a a study on leaders and leadership growth. And they talked to people very high up in organizations who were also considered effective because not everyone high up is considered effective. And they said, how did you get to be or how did you, you know, what made your path? And the data showed that 70% of the things they mentioned had to do with experiences they had. 20% other people like mentors or role models in 10% classes. And so my book is really about how do you get the most out of that 70%? So, you know, if 70% of the way you can grow to be a better leader, which really means to be more personally and interpersonally effective, you're going to learn through the experiences you have. It doesn't just happen inherently. You really have to go through the experiences in a certain way. And most of us go through a lot of our experiences pretty mindlessly. I don't know about you, but have you ever eaten mindlessly where you can't remember? I can't even remember lunch, much less was I there for it. And same with when we're chatting with other people. Often we, you know, we are focused on where we're going or we're focused on where we've been. And we're not really in our, we're not in our experiences and we don't learn from them. So the idea is that if you could be more present in your experiences and go at them with an intention to grow as well as an intention to win this client, run this team meeting, have a company retreat, you know, you're going to grow more as a person and you'll be more effective as a leader and, and just generally. Yeah. So that's the why of why. Why focus on a plan for learning? If you don't, you're just going to whiz through your experiences. I often ask people I'm teaching, is your life more like a series of flashbulb experiences where it's brightly lit and you remember everything about it or a speeding train where everything's just running past you and you don't really take in most of it? And most people sign up for speeding train for their lives. So you're not going to grow much from your experiences if they're going past you like that.
1: Yeah. And so I think that's where this idea of flexing comes in. And so I don't know, how would you explain flexing to us? What does that mean when you use that term?
3: Yeah, it's the most asked question about this book. (laughs) and The title was really intended to capture the idea that growth doesn't have to be a huge monolithic thing that you decide on, on December 31st, and you commit to with grim determination throughout, you know, at least March, you know, before you drop it, but rather growth can be a thing that you can do in spurts that you can pick up, work on, put down, pick it back up and so forth. So you can flexibly use this set of ideas around how to grow when it's most relevant to you and people are triggered by different things. Sometimes there's pain in the present, like just things aren't going well. And you know, you need to be different as the person who heads up the company in order for the company to be different and be how you want it to be. So that's one trigger for growth is pain in the present. Sometimes people just sort of have an image of how they want to be and they know they're not there yet. So they're motivated to grow in that way. But whatever it is, it's, deciding, okay, I want to take up growth for now, you know, for this upcoming event, I'm going to work on something about me that's causing pain. I need to listen better, be more approachable, be clearer, be a slow talker rather than a fast talker, be more, you know, whatever. I mean, people have a whole variety of things they want to work on, but I'm going to bring that focus into the a particular experience. Yeah.
1: And so the first thing you talk about is mindset and how important it is that we kind of approach these experiences and opportunities with this mindset. And so I wonder if you could share with us what it means, what it means to have a learning orientation, which I think is the mindset that you say we have to have. And so what does that look like?
3: Yeah, this builds on Carol Dweck, her work popularized in a book called The Growth Mindset, but she's been researching this for decades. And basically, she's found that, you know, if you go into an experience that involves challenge with one of two mindsets, one is a performance-proof mindset where you're just, you have your teeth gritted, your arms are clenched, your jaw is set, and you're like going to prove how great you are as a leader, as a CEO of a company, as a teacher, whatever. You know, that brings certain outcomes. One, you're more anxiety, you have more anxiety. The second, you actually don't always perform as well as you could because you're too focused on never ever screwing up and never ever looking like you could screw up. So you're worried about asking a question that might help you get better. you're worried about anyone ever thinking you're not perfect. And it really gets in the way. You know, the alternative mindset is what she originally called a learning orientation when she wrote the book. But it's really this idea that your goal is to go into this situation with a mindset of I'm going to do the best I can. You want to perform well in both mindsets. It's not about, well, one is lackadaisical and the other is hard charging. Both people want to perform well, but in the learning orientation, You're more open to and interested in how can I grow my skills and talents in this experience? So how can I get better than I was in the past? Performance-proof, you're worried about being better than everybody else anyone has ever seen as a leader, as a teacher, etc. And it's it's an exhausting mindset. It's also the one that we're most schooled in. You know, probably we went through school in a performance-proof mindset, so we've been incredibly reinforced for it. And, you know, your crowd of lawyers who had to be fabulous in college in order to get into great law schools and then fabulous in law schools to get great, you know, positions and reputation, you know, this is going to be a very different way to go at things.
1: Yeah. No, it it resonates. And for anyone that's interested, there's a quiz on your website that you can take. And, and so I took it this morning and luckily I scored very high on this learning orientation metric, which I was happy about because, but it resonated with me that learning and you say learning's not a threat, but it's an opportunity to soak up the knowledge that the experience has to offer. And we could probably spend a whole episode just on this topic. Cause I'm just thinking about my daughter and how, you know, we're trying to teach girls, especially this idea that it's okay to try things and not succeed, that that's part of it. So, wow. um, uh, there's a lot of work we could do on this one I'm for
3: sure but well, especially your your audience. Yeah. Who are, you know, setting up a business, how could they be perfect at that? They weren't schooled in it, they haven't done it before, and so the desire to be perfect is going to drive out the ability to grow because, you know, everyone will sense that they can't tell you something that would make it better because it would make you you know, it would make you crumble because you're yeah. so that on
1: perfection. No, that resonates. And I hear lots of lawyers tell me that that they're someone said it to me this morning in a coaching call that they're just so worried about being perfect. And they often do get hung up on some of the work we do together from this idea like, oh, it has to be a perfect outcome. And I'm like, no, we just got to work through it and and learn from it and make it better. And the first draft can never be perfect because it's a because that's not how the it works. So um So then we move into this idea, I think, of of a flex goal, and so we now hopefully we're approaching things with a better mindset, with that learning oriented mindset, and then we want to set a goal from ourselves, and would wonder if you could just frame this for us. What kind of what does a flex goal look like?
3: Yeah, and let me just say one thing is there are six practices that are articulated in the book, and that's kind of this framework that helps you to learn more from experience. If you only do one you'll learn more than you will than you're going to learn be learning today but if you could do all six because they're kind of a system it'll help you even more so if you only had a learning mindset that would help but the flex goal is the idea that as you go through experiences you could be learning about yourself as well and that that you would get more value out of experiences with very little effort it really takes just setting an intention of focus on something about you where you need to grow. And, you know, as I said, this might come from some pain in the present where, you know, like things aren't going well and you realize, wow, I really need to be a better listener or I'm never going to grow a team to do the work we need to do as a company, or I need to become more influential because I've got people going off in all sorts of directions and I need to set a vision And really make it meaningful to everyone. So, people have different flex goals, different things they're working on based on what's going on in their life. And so, the idea is then when you go into an experience, a team meeting, a weekly team meeting, for example, you're not only doing the meeting, but you're paying attention to, let's just use listening as an example, you're paying attention to your listening, things that get in the way of your listening. Sometimes, You're really good at listening to one person, but not the way that other person talks. Like it's really hard to hear them. And, you know, by paying attention to it, you're realizing it. But the idea is that if you don't set an intention to learn about a particular thing, you're just going to get lost in the experience. So Mm. it's kind of bringing a second focus to the experience.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And it feeds right into the third step. Around experimentation. And I have to confess that I did this this morning, which I loved the approach here that you set out with this idea of experimenting. My team, we did an exercise at our retreat a couple of weeks ago where everybody shared one thing that everyone on our team does that really helps the team and one thing that maybe takes away, hurts the team. And then as the listener, so I listened to everyone on my team give me that feedback. And then I said, here's what I'm going to work on. So I'm working on staying open and listening to different perspectives. And so I had a team member today and I realized like when I'm in CEO mode, I just want to solve problems for people. I want to give them answers, which is funny because I'm also a business coach and when I'm in coaching mode, I do a great job of staying open and letting the person you know find the answer on themselves, but when I and so I quickly and I didn't even realize I do this how quickly I shift hats that I wear. And so a team member reached out to me this morning with a question, something, something that was going on. And I immediately just typed out this long response. And then i thought about you and this book <laughs> preparing for today. And I said, wait a minute, I need to stop. I need to experiment and not respond that way. She's asked, she's wanting me to just give her the answer. I need to back up and try something different. And so I deleted my answer and I start, and instead I just took a different approach and I said, oh, I'm going to not give you this answer here what does help look like like what is it that you're actually asking from me and just try to do a little bit more coaching with her so maybe i got this right or wrong but this idea i think the third idea is that you're you're looking for ways to try something different and then maybe how you react to experiences is that how you would yeah exactly it?
3: no it's a great example and uh i can see why you scored high on a learning mindset because you clearly <laughs> have one but the idea is that it goes back to a quote that's often attributed to Albert Einstein, that you know, uh, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Like you have your comfort zone and then the magic happens somewhere else, you gotta get out of your comfort zone. And your comfort zone are your automatic responses. So once you're intentional on wanting to grow in, you said, being open and listening to diverse people, then you need to try some different things. And it's interesting because I usually talk about it as try some, like set up your experiments in advance. Like I'm going to repeat back what I hear before I offer advice, but you did it in the moment. You said, I'm doing my normal response. Nope. Don't want to do that. Let me back out of it and do something different. So I love that flexibility and that's kind of what the, flex, this is really the core of flexing is you get to choose a goal when you want to, and you get to try how to go at it, whatever way you want to, whatever way makes sense for you. And so it's, it's identifying one or two things you could try to be a better listener. Yeah. So it might be um, making sure that you speak last as the, the business owner and you let all your team speak first. And it might be that you offer a summary before you say anything else, you know, whatever you decide to do, but you decide on a couple of things.
1: Yeah. And that was going to be one of my questions is, you know, are there tips you have to keep this top of mind? Cause I could imagine that if I'm in a team meeting, when you're in the moment, it is just so easy to go back to those everyday habits. And then after the meeting be like, Oh, I totally blew that chance for an experiment. Cause that's probably what I would have normally do. So any thoughts like, how can you remind yourself and keep this top of mind?
3: Yeah. Well, I can tell you what one guy did. He was concerned about being more approachable. That was what he was trying to grow on. And it was during, he was practicing it during a a task force that he led. You know, he had one of his experiments, he had, he had three of them, but one was to smile more. One of the things he realized is that his resting face was not as bad as the one that just went through all your listeners' minds, but, you know, but it was serious, somber. And so he, what he did is on the, the folder that he would take to all the meetings, he just put a little post-it with a smiley face on it. And, you know, he, you know, you'd glance at your folder when you're, and he just would be a reminder to him of doing that. He also wanted to get to the meeting early so he could greet everybody because his normal mode would be go to the meeting at the right at the last second, walk in and immediately start the task, you know? So he set a calendar alert and he made a commitment. When that calendar alert goes off, I stand up and I go. And, you know, these things were really useful uh, for keeping it. One one really helped him, you know, get there to do it. And the other helped him to see it in the flow of things. But that is a little bit the rough spot is how do you remember to do your experiments yeah, you, know, you could put a rubber band around your wrist and, oh yeah, that band, you know, something that's a visual reminder.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Well, let's take a quick break. We'll hear from our sponsors. When we come back, I want to get to the fourth step, which is the one I struggle with the most. So I bragged, and now gotta say where I struggle.
2: The Lawyers Podcast is brought to you by Posh Virtual Receptionists. As an attorney, do you ever wish you could be in two places at once? You could take a call while you're in court. Capture a lead during a meeting, or schedule an appointment with a client while you're elbow deep in an important case? Well, that's where Posh comes in. Posh is a team of professional, US based live virtual receptionists who are available 24 7, 365. They answer and transfer your calls so you never miss an opportunity. With Posh handling your calls, you can devote more time to billable hours and building your law firm. And the convenient Posh app puts you in total control of when your receptionist steps in. So if you can't answer, Posh can. And if you've got it, Posh is always just a tap away. With Posh, you can save as much as 40% off your current service provider's rates. Even better, Posh is extending a special offer to Lawyerist listeners. Visit posh.com forward slash Lawyerist to learn more and start your free trial of Posh Live Virtual Receptionist Services. That's posh.com forward slash Lawyerist. And from Postali, Finding a marketing partner for your firm can be challenging. Are you getting sound advice? Is your marketing agency always working in your best interest? You shouldn't have to worry about these things. At Postali, they believe marketing companies should adopt the same duty to their clients that is required of the legal profession. For this reason, they require that all team members sign a fiduciary oath to act in good faith and put clients' best interests ahead of their own. They service with care, candor, and loyalty. Postali is a full service digital marketing agency exclusively for lawyers. To learn more about how they're different, Visit postali.com forward slash lawyerist.
1: Okay, we're back and we're talking about the power of flexing and this framework that you have for us of how to be better, how to learn and improve ourselves. And so after we run the experiment, we have to try to step back and seek feedback. And yeah, this is where it's not as fun for me. And and so would love to hear how what's a better way for us to think about this idea of feedback and how we get feedback. From our colleagues or friends?
3: Yeah. There's two strategies, each of which has a problem that can be solved. One strategy is to pay more attention to monitor for feedback. You know, pay attention to how others are responding to you. Do they approach you more often? Do diverse people approach you more often? And you often can tell we navigate our world based on monitored feedback all the time. The other way is to directly ask someone for feedback and they both have issues. The monitoring problem is you can get it really wrong, especially if you have a hypothesis like, oh, yeah, I'm really I'm really lousy at this. Then you're really attuned to all the negative reactions. You know, like if I'm teaching and it's a topic I don't really like teaching, I always notice, oh, everybody looks so bored. You know, are they more bored or am I just uncomfortable? I don't know. What I always say is if uh, you need to look for patterns in that case, if one person's falling asleep, it's probably them. If they're all falling asleep, it's probably good feedback on me uh, for my teaching. And then in asking, you know, it seems more direct, but, you know, you're the boss. People are going to tell you what they think you want to hear unless you take steps to try to avoid that. So how you ask, where you ask, when you ask, who you ask makes a difference. Marshall Goldsmith, who's a very uh, renowned personal coach for leaders, he said, I don't like feedback because I've already done the terrible thing. And so hearing about it just makes me feel bad. He said, I like feed forward. And in feed forward, you decide something you're working on, which is one step in the power of flexing process. You decide something you're working on. And instead of asking for feedback, In the moment, you ask team members by asking them this. You say, look, I'm working on being a better listener, especially with diverse across diverse perspectives. Do you have any ideas for me? So then it puts it on a forward looking approach. It doesn't trigger your ego as much because they're not telling you, yeah, you were lousy in the last meeting, but it's all it's all about possibilities. But it does give you really good information because chances are they're not just telling you a random idea. They're telling you an idea based on what they've seen you do or not do. But it it's somehow the framing of that makes it better. So those would be my three ideas is, is pay attention to monitoring, find ways to ask, and then use feed forward.
1: Yeah. And I love how you say, um, I read that you said, personal effectiveness is a contact sport. It doesn't matter how you see yourself, but how others see you as well. And it's a good reminder. Cause like, yeah, oftentimes in our heads, I'm like, Oh, I'm really great at this thing. But if my team doesn't think so, and I'm not open and receptive to hearing that, then I could be really, you know, hurting the overall team. And so I thought that was just a great reminder that it's a risk, right? It feels scary to ask the, ask for that, for that information, which is what feedback is, it's data coming back to you that you need to evaluate how you're doing and what to change.
3: And notice how interconnected these things are. If you have a learning mindset, feedback does seem like a gift. If you have a performance-proof mindset, it seems threatening. If you set a focus, you're likely to get feedback on more specifically on that thing rather than just general. So they're kind of interconnected
1: yeah, for sure. And then I think the the final steps are around regulating emotions and reflection, and these also seem important and probably maybe overlooked. So um, would love for you to just share a minute about those.
3: Yeah, I think of lawyers as very in their heads. I, I could be wrong. You know, <laughs> no, I, I, I think you're right on that one, yes. <laughs> yeah, and not in touch with emotions. You know, the MBA students I teach are not that much different. They're pretty analytical. I often tease my MBA students that they only know two emotions, good and bad. I feel good. I feel bad, you know, but emotions really get in the way of our learning. You know, if we're emotionally triggered such that we have an emotional reaction to someone, it's hard to be open and listen to them. And, you know, the first step is really understanding that you are feeling an emotion and maybe getting a more nuanced language for what that emotion is. I'm feeling shame, I'm feeling disappointment, I'm feeling anger, I'm feeling discouragement. Those are very different emotions, but those emotions can get in the way of you learning from a particular person or it just in general. Like I had a guy when I was the school's senior associate dean and meeting with him was painful. He was just such a downer. It was just painful. And I finally, as one emotion regulation strategy, I told my assistant, I said, don't ever put him on a Monday. I can't deal with him on a Monday. By Wednesday, I think I can deal, you know, it'll be fine. It won't knock me off my course. So that's kind of, the book talks about a ton of different regulation strategies, but that's one, which has changed the situation. Uh, Motion regulation is probably the hardest thing to do but it starts with, and the only thing I sort of put on the agenda of your listeners, it starts with just becoming more aware of what you're feeling and what the cost of it might be. Yeah. What you're giving up by going with that feeling.
1: Yeah. That's helpful. When I read it, that part, I'm like a little bit on that train in the sense what you talked about in the beginning, right? Like, I could see myself having this learning mindset and doing the experiments, but then I'd be like, I think I would be tempted to just be on with the next thing. Okay. Let me go experiment again. And this idea that, you know, you really do need to take a step back and reflect, regulate your emotions and reflect on what you're seeing.
3: I think I can help with that. Cause I don't think it has to be on your mind all the time. If you remember it, when you have a strong emotion, that's good enough. Right. Okay. So if somebody makes you boiling mad, It's like, oh yeah, emotion regulation. I'm supposed to pay attention to this. That's good enough because that's where it's blocking your learning. Mm. Um, Or if you've, you know, I also talk about, remember positive emotions. Positive emotions help our learning unless they're way too positive and then we don't pay attention, but they help our learning. And so what are ways I can find more joy in my group, create more joy in our group so we can learn more together. Uh, would be another way to go at it, but as far as keeping that on your your agenda, I don't, I don't think you have to have that on as a constant. I think just when you have a strong reaction to someone, using that as a cue to explore it would be really good.
1: Yeah, no, that's super helpful. One thing you said at the top of our conversation that I think's worth just exploring for a few more minutes because we were just getting started, and I just kind of want to unpack it for a second is this idea that historically, some organizations have sort of reserved learning for this one select group of people. You know, you see, it it resonated with me reading about it, that you could see this with large organizations where we tap the future leaders, and then they get all of this work on their development and professional development. We're going to pour a lot of resources into them. But then it occurred to me, I could see this happening in law firms as well, even small firms. If I can be frank for a second with our listeners, this'll, you know, it'll sting a little bit, but sometimes we do this where we separate lawyers from the rest of the team. And so we automatically like put our lawyers or associates in a different learning and professional development path than other team members who don't have a, you know, JD. And I would like to push against that. So, and I think you do too, in your book where you say, there's potential for everyone to learn. And so I just wanted to kind of hit that again, because it just so resonated with me. And so, which is the reason why now everyone on my team is going to be, we're all working on this right now. This is like, this is a major focus for our team is like, how are we learning and how are we supporting each other in doing that?
3: Yeah. I love that you said that, that you're all going to read the book, which is great. Yeah. I think that, you know, there's two ways to think about it. One is if we taught people to grow themselves we could think about well what structures could we put around that to support and enable that growth and it might be things as simple as you know on our retreat we're going to talk about where is your growth goal and we're going to talk about what that looks like and then we're going to pair people up and they're going to be an accountability partner. They're going to learn what experiments you're going to try and they're going to check in with you 3 months down and you know 6 months down and then next year we're going to all get together and we're going to talk about what did how did we grow? what did we learn? I think something like that supports the growth that you want to be happening among your people among all the people, I mean, the reason for all is the world is just getting very complex, dynamic, changes happening that we need to adjust to. And we really need everyone's ore in the water. And you know, we've seen this dramatically during the pandemic, right? And so firms that created firms of leaders, I think did better when the pandemic hit than firms that where everybody's waiting to hear what's gonna come down from on high. And so, and I think, you know, small law firms are no different in that way. So the second thing, one is you can support individual learning. The second is you can create a culture that really values learning. And that is everything from artifacts that are around that promote learning, goofy signs that say this or that about learning, to the questions that people ask in their one-on-one meetings. How are you growing? this quarter relative to some goal you set last quarter. You know, what? in what way are you growing? You know, I the last chapter of the book talks about Cy, Nadella and his CEO term at Microsoft. And he took that over. He had just read Carol Dweck's work. And he said, look, we need to be a learning organization. And the results for Microsoft have been pretty dramatic. You know, big change culturally. My students all want to go work there now. Whereas, in, you know, 10 years ago, not not as much, you know, and so I think you can change a culture and I think it attracts better people because people want to grow in their life and now they can do it in your company Um, and that feels good to them. So it has more meaning and they stay. So I think those two things can be attended to and can sort of lift all boats and it'll be to the betterment of all.
1: Yeah, for sure. So the book is The Power of Flexing. I highly recommend it to everyone. I'm not kidding when my whole team is going to be reading it so we can work on this together because we're trying to create a culture of learning. Grow as people is one of our core values as a team. And we talk about that as professional growth and personal growth. And so I'm I'm so thankful that you wrote this book and gave us this framework because I'm I'm excited to go experiment some more.
3: Well. It makes my heart happy to hear that. I that, That's my highest order principle purpose in life, which is to help people. So if it's helpful, that's all really good for me.
0: The Lawyerist Podcast is produced by Bailey Tiller and edited by Ryan Croft. Are you ready to implement the ideas we discussed here into your practice? Wondering what to do next? Here are your first two steps. First, if you haven't read the Small Firm Roadmap yet, grab the first chapter for free at Lawyerist.com slash book. Looking for help beyond the book? Let's chat about whether our coaching communities are right for you. Head to Lawyerist.com slash community slash lab to schedule a 15-minute call with our community manager. The views expressed by the participants are their own and not endorsed by the Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you.